It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. I've been telling tales my whole life, and I sure do love a good story. Today, I'm happy to share with you a tale of brotherly love. The Menken Brothers of Brotherly Love Organics are proud growers from Trinity County, 2,900 miles from the city of brotherly love where their stories first began. We talk about their familial roots their personal history with cannabis, and the realities of life as an Emerald Triangle cannabis farmer trying to navigate the legal cannabis framework. In the foothills of the Shasta Trinity National Forest, the Menken brothers learned about cultivation and developed their skills as biodynamic regenerative farmers. After a long day's work on the farm, they'd enjoy a pre-roll and divide up tasks for tomorrow's challenges. Their mutual desire for a pre-roll with no shake, no trim, no pesticides, and great flour at a fair price became the product they wished to share with the world. Since that time, the Menken brothers have spent every day growing the best quality flour they can produce and rolling it with love into organic hemp paper cones for Californians everywhere. So why don't you pack yourself a bowl of your favorite ride-or-die strain, because it's time to get casually baked and soak up some brotherly love. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Stephen and Charles Menken, welcome to the Casually Baked Studio. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's good to finally see you. We've been talking about having some brotherly love up in this place for a while, and I ended up having to go to Texas, and then we had some scheduling issues, so happy to finally have you here. And, you know, this episode is just on the heels of having my sister on the show with me, and it just got me to thinking about siblings and working together and and what's, what's that like? And, you know, when you know someone so well and you can, like, really get behind something and go and, you know, you can just kind of be in the flow together without a lot of communication, but then sometimes it's a fucking train wreck. So I thought it would be fun to kind of start out lighthearted and talk about your relationship and working together and how this brotherly love came about. And then we'll dive into more of the interesting things that are happening. Sounds good. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? You can start. And say who you are so people can know the difference. Yeah, no, this is Stephen Menken. Um, Working with Charles has been awesome and magical at times because 
we share the same vision. I don't have the anxiety of worrying about my business partner cutting and running at any point and like taking everything or God knows however many ways that partnerships could fail. It's also nice to know that like, if God forbid, if we do fail, if the business does go kaput and the farm has to be shut down, that like we still love each other. It's still brothers. It's like that comes first. So that strength and like, I think it's kind of magical because we complement each other. There's a lot of our strengths that line up and like our weaknesses line up with our strengths and and offset each other's yeah yeah that's cool when that happens and it's been like a a path a journey i mean communication's everything with relationships so learning how to communicate as business partners not just like brothers mm -hmm. right especially for me like sometimes like you can't really get emotional with a business partner but sometimes you want to get emotional as like your brother or whatever but it's communication and we also think very similar because we're brothers. So we have similar approaches to things. I don't know. Me and some of my sisters, we <laughs> we think pretty far apart. But, you know, <laughs> it's nice. You'll have some good synergy. So who's the oldest? I'm the oldest. All yeah. right. And this is Charles. Hi, Charles. <laughs> Scoot a little closer for me. There you go. So, Charles, who was the first, who's the cannabis, you know, wrangler of the two of you? He's like, let's start a, a farm. I think I was harder and in pushing in that in, into that. It was like when I first got out of the military, Stephen was just getting out of college and was involved in some things, and I didn't have terribly much going on. And uh, like because I had a, a long history with alcohol charges, like getting a job was yeah no it was that going to college was a waste of my money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like it's a waste of a lot of people's money right now. So, so you did one tour in Afghanistan. How long were you in the Marines? I was in the Marines for four years. Okay, and where are you guys originally from? Philadelphia. <laughs> Duh. And I love your logo. It's so awesome. It's the Liberty Bell with the crack is the state of California. I mean, it's clever as shit. Who came up with that? Um, that was me. I have a similar tattoo. Well done, Stephen. <laughs> and by the way, I have to commend you. So I get a lot of people that ask to be on the show, and you know, they're like, hey, you should interview me, or you should interview my company, and and then when I ask them, well, tell me why, give me a reason. And, you know, a lot of times you don't hear back from someone or they'll send you a couple of bullet points. And Steven had messaged me a couple of times and he's like, Hey, you should have me and my brother on your show. And I said, you know what? Tell me your story. And he was like, well, let's get on a call. And I was like, no, Stephen, I need you to take the time and write this shit out for me. And he wrote the most beautiful story about y'all. I don't know if he shared it with you. Did he? Did you read this? I don't know if I have. I mean, I'm so busy up there that like. Well, it's, I'll it's forward not... it to you because it was really good. I was really impressed. And I'm like, okay, I have to have these guys on the show. So tell me how you ended up going from Philadelphia to Trinity County. So my journey started, I mean, my first interaction with weed was probably watching movies with Charles that I shouldn't have been. And then being like, <laughs> that stuff's pretty cool. Like how high, half-baked. And then smelling it and stealing it from him. And then fast forward, uh, I got into it in a traditional sense in college. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much all I did. I didn't study. And then when I graduated, uh, I couldn't find a real job because I did more cannabis than I did studying. And I moved to the hills in Vermont. I was working a masonry job. Uh, and then I got invited to a trim camp in Grass Valley. And the owner of the farm was from Philly. He actually went to the same college as me in Vermont and got kicked out a decade earlier for selling weed. <laughs> and so I became his designated driver and just like learned the ways of Northern California. And then I lost everything a couple times just from like incidences. And by the third time I was like, I ran out of people I could trust. And he just got back from Afghanistan. And I was like, dude, I need your help. And so I, I like to to dig into things. So when you say there were a couple of incidences, these are you doing grows and having partners that you didn't necessarily trust and got taken for everything or what, what would a, you can be generic. You don't, I don't want to scare you, but I'd like to paint a picture for people what life is like for someone who's moving out here and, you know, they're trying to get their feet wet and meet people and get into a business. So what, what I mean, was happening? It was different back then. So it was like... What year are we talking? Like 
2013, 12. Yeah. Okay. So like mm-hmm. it was. So we had Prop 215. So it was it was only medically legal, and there was still a lot of gray area. I mean, if you got caught with a large sum of cannabis, kiss yeah. goodbye. And if that was where most of your assets, if you can call it an asset, where most of your money was, that was it. It was done. Yeah. And still to this day, civil asset forfeiture is a thing. Like it's based on a maritime law, and they can seize any asset for the suspicion that you're do- it's connected to an illegal activity. They don't need to prove anything. So at any moment, they could take all your cash, all your belongings. Um, yeah, back then, it didn't matter that it was Prop 215. You were still a criminal. If you look at a lot of the legacy dispensaries across California, they're in the industrial parks of these cities because it was the only place they'd allow it because it was the derelicts that smoked cannabis. It wasn't like that's how they viewed it, whether or not that's true or not. But well, it wasn't. We all know it wasn't. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but so that's why you see in like San Francisco, mm-hmm. like all the legacy dispensaries are in Soma. And Soma is not the tourist high end area of San Francisco. It's where you work and there's a lot of civil services there. Yeah. Yeah. So you you felt like your back was against the wall and you needed your your big brother to sweep in and be your partner. Yeah. I mean, part of where I offset in the, in the Brady beginning early stages is because I was always in trouble. And as I was younger and just had so many run-ins with the police, I just had a better navigating of some situations and things and was able to make things happen a little bit. Yeah. You had those street smarts. <laughs> well, I also had the, <laughs> the poise to do this stuff and keep a common situations that most people would just be literally have a heart attack. Absolutely. Yeah. You had all the training for that. <laughs> Seriously. It's impressive. So tell me about, you know, you two come from the same place, but lived very different lives and then came back together. So what is each of your individual relationship with cannabis? Like why you use it, what you were so passionate about getting into it for? So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2012. I think I've had it for pretty much my entire life. Um, Cannabis for me, I use uh, only edibles now currently. Uh, without it, like I don't have an appetite. I eat uh, a minimum of a thousand milligrams a day, or I just, I just don't eat. I like literally not hungry. I can work 12 hours and not eat. It's like that it's worse when I've tried to get away from cannabis because of some of the, just not being as, as present as I'd like to be in certain situations. I've tried going sober and yeah, like I've, I've gone stretches where I've really eaten like maybe a meal over three days. Wow. We're working towards uh, growing some more CBD-rich cuts so that we can try to strike that balance because traditionally we've really only grown really high THC just because that's what works. Well, yeah, that's that's where the market was. Yeah. It's not that's what works because well, for, a lot of different stuff works, but you're saying you were growing specifically to treat your Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I don't know a lot about Crohn's and cannabis. So what are the things that cannabis helps Crohn's patients with besides the appetite? Um, it, 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 it really does help with the, the inflammation in your intestines. I mean, I've, I haven't taken pharmaceuticals for Crohn's disease since 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe I've been in remission since like 2013. Um, the biggest thing is diet um, that really helps with the Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to have a really strict diet and it's hard. Yeah. Like no sugar, no grease, no nothing processed. It's well, and that's what we should all be eating anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my landlord came down here today and I was having some issues with the gate access and, you know, was about to make a shake. And so I had my beet powder and my moringa powder and my protein and greens and my collagen. And he's just like, Ugh, I'm going to In and Out. Do you want anything? <laughs> <laughs> Your sounds way better. I, I It doesn't I mean it doesn't necessarily taste amazing, but it's the things that I know that I need that are in there and and so yeah, it's just like if you can at least eat right and get enough sleep, you're way ahead of the curve, right? I think yeah, because of like how Charles has learned to cultivate it's changed my paradigm on how I view everything because like microbes are, are magic. Like what you ingest and put in your gut directly affects how you look, how you feel, how you act. Um, yeah. Like even staying hydrated, like you're more flustered when you're dehydrated. You don't think as clearly. 
And last time I ate In-N-Out, I distinctly remember I was a long drive and I felt like it was the only thing around. And then I crashed. I was, I had to pull over and take a nap and I was like, yeah. food shouldn't make you Crash. Yeah, you didn't literally crash. Let's no, just no, make no, sure yes, everybody yes, does that. No, but like physically, <laughs> I was like, I need to take a nap right now. I need to pull over on the side of the road because I'm just exhausted. And food's yeah. supposed to make you feel like energized. And Yeah. And I'm really good about acknowledging and writing down how different strains make me feel. But when it comes to food, a lot of times I will forget that certain restaurants or meals make me crash like that. And it's like we need to be able to be as thoughtful about that. Like, oh, I can't eat these things in the middle of the day because it's going to wreck my afternoon or whatever. And, you know, I think that plant medicine that we use, the food we put in our body, the people we surround ourselves with, how much sleep we get, like it all seems really simple, but it's really fucking hard to put it all together and make it work. Oh, it sounds like an app. <laughs> Like record how you feel after you eat, like where you ate, you know, even with what you smoke. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, and of course I, whenever I'm high, I, I like pen and paper, I'm tactile. And so I have a, a dosage and strain tracker that I write it down in. I do have a couple of apps, but I just can't make myself use them. Cause when I'm high, I don't really want to be engaging with technology unless I'm editing or or having to write or something, you know? Do you have uh, a favorite strain or do you have a favorite strain for certain? I have favorite strains for certain things. Like there's some strains that I know will make me super hungry. So I reserve those for when I'm cooking and right before I have a nice meal. Cause otherwise, you know, I don't want to fucking have the munchies and I know I will, but you know, I just think it's a little shit like that, that helps people dial in what their cannabis experience is. So what's your favorite strain as of now, if you could pick one? If there's a weed apocalypse and every strain was wiped out and you can only have one? Ooh. If I had Crohn's, it would be huckleberries. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> that shit makes me hungry. But it's really good. Huckleberry Hill Farms. I like their stuff. I really love uh, Blueberry Muffin from Humboldt Seed Company. Yeah. That's the strain that I gift people. Like if I'm giving somebody seeds and they're going to grow for the first time, I like to share that one because the flowers are really beautiful and it smells lovely and it's just a really feel good high. So I think that would be my broad overall. Maybe it will be, what's this one? Uh, funky lemon donut, we call it. It's um, well, Maybe I'll like funky lemon donut. It's OG 99 crossed with Gorilla Glue 4. My favorite, I think, is Bob Saget. And I picked up the cut originally because I went to this nursery back in the Prop 215 days and Bob Saget went to our high school. So I couldn't say no. I just... The Bob Saget? He's funny, crude, hilarious. It's like, you were on Full House? <laughs> so for me in high school, it was always kids walking around, like when we want to smoke weed, talking, like quoting that half-baked line, like, you, you would hit for marijuana? <laughs> marijuana in addiction? And then Bob Sackett says, I'm like, I used to suck dick for coke. You ever suck dick for marijuana? The guy in the back is like, I seen him. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, okay, so you consume for Crohn's. Tell me why you consume besides um, for entertainment. So for me, I got kicked out of this prep school that I went to for hockey uh, it was because of a fight and my dad was like, oh, my kids sent him to like a psychologist at like the recommendation of the school I got kicked out of and they put me on Adderall. And my teacher, like he said I had ADD because I was always like finicky in class, not good at sitting still. And so I was tense, irritable, very curt, was not pleasant to be around when I was on Adderall. And then I found this chick that loved Adderall that sold weed. And so I started training her my Adderall every morning before school and smoking a blunt with my friend. And that's when the teachers and my parents noticed the Adderall working because I was stoned. I was like, you're interesting. Like, I'll learn about history. I'll sit here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was when I really started using it. Like, But time out. So now your parents are thinking Adderall works for my kid and you're letting them think that? Yeah, I was getting free weed. <laughs> yeah. But parents, are you listening to this shit? Like, this is kids and trade and capitalism like pay attention and then what happened at one point was 
a lot of my friends in high school started to get into pills. Uh, this story makes my stomach hurt. And so I was running around high school being like, I want mushrooms. I want ecstasy. I want acid. I want to do psychedelics. I want to see Mickey Mouse. I want to do some weird stuff. And it was like Percocet, Roxaset, Tramadol, like Xanax, Clodopin. Oh like, my God. And so a lot of my friends got into this really skeevy scene and I got into it for a little bit too. And then this girl I was friends with, she looked at me and she's like, what you guys are doing is gross. Yes. And I was like, thank you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I checked myself. My friends got robbed uh, trying to buy some drugs. And I just like quit pharmaceuticals, cold turkey. And then two years later, like I experienced psychedelics in college and UVM had an abundance of awesome weed. Like Burlington is like a weed town, even though it's like on the East Coast, like they love their cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up smoking what we call Germantown Brown, just like nickel bags of like Mexican weed that had stems and seeds. And then mm-hmm. I went to UVM, it was like headies from California. And it was with my substance abuse, like you only need cannabis or I only need cannabis. I don't need alcohol. I don't need anything else. I like, there's nothing that just fits. I don't right. Know. Well, and I, I'm like that too, where I, my preferred method of any sort of medicine I'm always going to try the cannabis first. So if I have a headache, before I reach for a pill, I'm going to smoke and see if that might help first. And like yesterday, you know, I'm like, okay, let's pound some water. Let's smoke a bowl. And finally I gave up and at four o'clock in the afternoon, I take some ibuprofen, but typically cannabis will work for me. Of course, I went this morning and had a neck and jaw adjustment. Do you, I talk too much, people. <laughs> do you know what causes your headaches? Me being in this like kind of text neck writing position most of the day forever. I mean, I've been a writer and in media for Ever. my whole entire career. I turned 43 on Sunday. Oh, Happy congratulations. Birthday. Just like a Leo to ask for birthday treats early. <laughs> Here you go. But I appreciate that you shared that because I feel like, you know, so many of my parent friends are dealing with issues with their kids and you've been able to believe them and trust them for so long. You're just like, well, they told me and you know, I, I believe my kid. I don't believe those other kids, but I believe my kid. I just, I don't, the more I've come to know it, like I don't necessarily even believe ADD is a thing or ADHD is a thing. I think kids live in the most overstimulated time in human history. Like I'm looking at these little kids playing with iPads on planes and like thinking back, like, I remember when our family had that little Nokia and everyone, like, we had one cell phone for the kids and Charles always had it because my parents were afraid he was going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, well, there was a really good chance that I was. <laughs> hey, you know what? You know your family. But anyway, I, I think it is absolutely true that it is overstimulation. And I really would like to see, you know, there's some schools that are doing yoga for the kids, or if a kid gets in trouble at school, instead of going to in-school suspension, they're like having them sit down and meditate. And that is changing these people's lives and these kids' lives and these teachers' lives for crying out loud. Anyway, I can get on it. See, you talked about getting on soapboxes. <laughs> we got on one. We totally got on one. Uh, I'm not very good at having... Um... Keeping direction? Yeah. Well, I was also saying like keeping things lighthearted. I'm like... You know, easy conversation to me ends up on, I end up on a soapbox. Well, and that's another reason that why I enjoy cannabis is because it does that. It just opens you up to having those deeper, you know, more meaningful, heartfelt conversations. And for the love of God, where you're talking about brotherhood, let's dive back into the cannabis part of this conversation and tell me what's going on in Trinity County. It's not that I don't remember that it's there. I know it's part of the Emerald Triangle, but I don't feel like people talk about Trinity County and enough. So what? tell me what we should know. What are all the beautiful things about Trinity County? So to, from my perspective on Trinity County is we're the forgotten part of the triangle. And I think a lot of people out there kind of like it that way. There's not really any other real industry there. Um, and, and it's the perfect and, place to grow. It, like it's, it. it's literally the climate. It's, it's, it's perfect. There, we have very low humidity. 
or it doesn't get really over a hundred much. It doesn't get super cold. The winters in Hayfork Valley, the most the, the 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 snow sticks is like a month. It's beautiful. Um, you, you really couldn't ask for better. Like sometimes it's like I just look at our like where we're at in the valley and go, it's not me. It's literally the climate. <laughs> and, and, and the 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 county government has been like receptive, and it seems like because they want it to work. Hell yeah, they need it to work. Yeah, yeah, there's some factions that might not, but like overall it feels like they want it to work and they're doing their best to work within the confines of a lot of like like CEQA is not easy to navigate, which is the California Environmental Qualities Act. It's like environmental impact studies on new projects. Mm-hmm. They've been, in my opinion, up to this point, doing what they can and working. I mean, So when you are looking out at Humboldt County and seeing what's happening over there, you're you're feeling really grateful that you're in Trinity. Yeah, the Trinity is they're they're not coming into Trinity nearly as hard. So and I think that like because Trinity County doesn't have any other industry, a lot of not just the government, but the people need it to work. Right. And that's what I was meaning earlier when they're like everybody needs it to work. It's everyone is connected to the industry in some way. Not you might not be like directly, you might not have, but like, but it could be your aunt or uncle or exactly your cousins, yeah. Or you could own the store where everyone shops and yeah. like work exactly. at the grocery right? store, yeah. And I would right. love to see like, yeah. like, yeah. So it's just community, bitches. Right? Yes, but exactly. Like Mendocino and Humboldt, I feel for those growers because those counties have real industry. They have real money. Like they've got tourism, they've got fishing, and they've got nimbies. Like they've got really large estates that. I don't know if they're still NIMBYs, but like cannabis used to be a NIMBY issue. It was like, I don't want a ganja grow near me. And so outside looking in Trinity's, we've been very fortunate when it comes to how things have been playing. And shoot, we also got the cheapest power in the state. That's another thing, but yeah. I mean, y'all are selling it. You better watch out. People may come barreling in. We don't even use all the, a lot of power. But also there's, there's, there's still like a lot of like, they're not letting new grows in right now because of the environmental thing. Good. And, um, and that protects y'all and the other small farmers. In a sense. And like Trinity County is like not the easiest place to get land. Yeah. It's not that easy to get like very like good land because mm-hmm. like there's a few. It's pretty val- rough. Yeah. It's like super, super rugged. And mm-hmm. now well, 80% just- of the county is national forest. Yeah. yeah. And then it's the size of New Hampshire. If you flat it out, it's the size of Texas. And so a lot of grows are like cut on the side of hills. They put a moratorium on grading. So you got to find flat land and good luck. And sad to say it, like the scary thing for a cultivator is all these geneticists are racing towards autoflower, right? And I met a group that's trying to produce a high THC, high quality, high testing autoflower that can be planted and harvested with a tractor. Like that's kind of capitalism and innovation at its mm. finest. But you look at small grower with flats cut on the side of the hill. It's like, is the average American going to pay X when they can produce it for pennies? You know? Yeah. Like that's like the kind of the thing in the background that a lot of cultivators I think are like missing is like, if I were rushing into this green rush, I wouldn't get into cultivation unless you have experience and know exactly what you're doing. We're a product of like, we just love cannabis. And for a while, it was like, you want clean cannabis? You grow it yourself. The better yeah. you grow it, the better you're smoking that year. Yeah. The better you're ingesting. Just Yeah. When I first moved out here, I had been given some flour from somebody and they had grown it. And I said, is there any pesticides or anything in this? And he said, well, let's just say I wouldn't smoke it. You know, he was somebody who's on the black market growing it in their garage, selling, you know, whatever they make, making that pretty penny for that season and, you know, deciding whether or not they want to do it again, but they have money to go on a sick ass vacation for a few months or something, you know? And so I think it's true. If you are somebody who really cares about your body and what you're putting into it for a long time, yeah, you should have just been growing your own. And I just was lucky to have some really good friends that were good growers that we're growing good stuff. Yeah. And there's definitely, I think I, majority of the growers that we're friends with do like the right practices. It's always mm-hmm. like a few in every group. If you keep the plants health, healthy and thriving, you can keep most pests at bay. And when you grow the way that we do, it's about achieving a balance. So you'll always have some pests, right? That's nature. Yeah. But it's keeping them below thresholds that actually impacts. 
Well, and it's fun to learn the regenerative farming practices that teach you, oh, well, if this is the pest you have, then you know that you need to start planting this other flower or clover or whatever fruit or vegetable or whatever. So it's like a fun little nature puzzle if you let it be instead of it being just like, I want to have the biggest, sickest buds ever. Let's miracle the grow the fuck out of this shit. If you let it be natural and fun, it's the coolest shit ever. Yeah. And you just experiment. I remember one time where I was just kind of like right online somewhere I was messing around and I threw some potatoes in one of the pots and Charles kept on like ripping out my potatoes and I didn't know this. And I keep coming out like, what is going after him? No, no, like, nothing eats potatoes. Like, what is this? And then he's like, what is this cover crop? And this is like very early on because he knew everything that was in our cover crop. Yeah, his potatoes were a pain. <laughs> so tell me what you know about the recent Trinity raids that happened or. I mean, yesterday they, they were up. In, what was it? Was it yesterday? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was yesterday. Yesterday they were up in Trinity with the, the National Guard. They went really hard on the Hmong down in the pines. They even... Uh, From what we hear, yeah. I mean, that, that, we saw them kick in the, the, their grocery store door. after They started in the pines on raiding their farms. They all scattered, and they followed them up into town. And so to clarify what Charles means by the pines is... So there's like layers to understanding the, the Emerald Triangle, and it's kind of like funny. I, I do the sales and marketing. I, I moved down to Oakland to do that. So I've been off the farm for like a year pretty much since we started the brand and getting to know people. It's like, okay, you know, the Emerald Triangle, you can name all three counties. Okay. You can name like towns. Okay. You can name like mountains and subdivisions. And it's like, you kind of almost get like respect, like in California in some circles, like, oh, you know, the pines, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the right. Trinity Pines is like a subdivision. It's a mountain that it's just, it's going to be a terroir. Well, years it's, years well, ago, it's, somebody, they, so, that some land developers came in and they were going to subdivide and make a housing development on this mountain in just south of Hayfork. And they came in, subdivided it, cut roads, cut driveways in a number of places, mm -hmm. and then never built anything else. And the project went nowhere. And then the pot farmers came in and took over the mountain. And so what happened <laughs> well was done. early. Well played, my stoner friends. In early 2000s, what happened was like, we're talking like mid early 2000s, Trinity County didn't have an abatement team. So Trinity County has like nine sheriff's deputies. It's not like that they don't want cannabis or they have no control because they have no money. They're a frontier county. They're doing their best, right? Mm -hmm. With nine sheriffs, you only have four on duty in the county's the size of New Hampshire. It takes 45 minutes to get places. <laughs> so what happened was they started Your odds are good. They, they started baiting, right? They take out a grower that had like 10,000 plants. So then he'd come back and buy 10 different properties and put 1,000 plants on every single one. One of those get chopped, and so then he'd go put 99. And like it just proliferated, and now it's – I don't even know how many grows. No, yeah, there's over 4,000 in Trinity. Well, just in Hayfork, I think. Not even the training county. I don't, I don't know that. I think there's five. I don't know how many, but there's, there's a, a thousand. There's thousands of grows up there. But. <laughs> so it's it's a different world. It's a different culture, and it like sucks you in at times. Like you're like going to the post office with trim leaves on your shirt, and you're like, I'm in a federal building with weed on me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just normal. You see people in the grocery stores. And whenever I'm in Humboldt, I haven't been to Trinity yet, but I will go. You walk into a place and you just smell weed because it's on enough people that it's just kind of wafting in the air. Oh, I yeah. think it smells amazing. Especially during fall. Oh, everybody. You smell oh, it yes. on the highways, just like roll down your windows. So how's the how's this year's crop coming along? It's it's coming wonderfully. Um, those late rains in May kind of delayed the start of everything, but I got no complaints right now. Right on. Do y'all harvest early October or will you have stuff coming in earlier than that? Uh, when we just cut down one greenhouse, uh, two days ago. Nice. It's yeah. It's by greenhouse. This is like the, a lot of people on Instagram and nowadays see greenhouses like these yeah. high end glass houses. This is like old school. It's, it's a rebar PVC pipe bent over two pieces of rebar, like, and like, there's no electricity. It's you're pulling tarps by pulling hand. Tarp, yep. Yeah. I own it. Yeah. So it's, we call nice greenhouses Ferraris. Like, <laughs> I, you know what? I feel you like being an entrepreneur. I'm like, I buy used equipment and then, you know, stuff 
some days it works really well, some days it doesn't. And you're like, okay, well, it's on the list. It's on the wish list. Like, I'm going to make this work for this season. And then next year, hopefully I can do a little bit better. Yeah. And that that's like when I was talking earlier, the redlining issue kind of that David Downs brought up on Leafly really struck home. But the federal prohibition is not allowing, quote unquote, legal farmers to get traditional financing. Yeah. Um, and insurance. Crop insurance is not a thing, but we have to have product insurance, which I'm so like, okay. Well, how can you have product insurance? I'm just honestly with the regulations at this point, I'm just like, okay, we need to do it. Let's get it done. Like, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not, I don't have the money to change the laws. I can like speak out about it. But like when it comes to like certain things, we're trying to go where like the puck's going, not where Mm -hmm. it is on compliance. So if it's in the books... We're just going to barrel towards it and unfortunately get it done. It's like costly in time and it's like I can't. And I think they count on that too, that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So if you're telling us this is a thing and this is what needs to happen, even though, you know. Well, so also a lot of shops want it for like. I don't know how this would ever be applicable to pre-rolls, but if someone like uses a product and then sues the, the shop. You know, over because that's what they do in a lot of traditional like consumer products is the product itself has insurance, right? Because we have pre right, but I didn't think that, but since it was a federally illegal product, that you could insure it. Yeah, we. I'm high and it's confusing the shit out of me. (laughs) Which you know, and I, but no, I think that it confuses the shit out of people when they're not high. Oh yeah, we're regulated (laughs) by six agencies, so like I just. The only way people, small farmers like us, survive is like extreme persistence. You have to keep knocking until you get an answer, and then you get the answer that's real. You got to do it. So tell me what it's been like transitioning from being out on the farm till you said you moved into the city a year ago to be the the face and the sales arm of the brand. So what's that been like for you? Um. A new experience. Uh, I've learned so much. If you would have told me that I'd be obsessing over like things that I'm obsessing over now, a few years ago, I'd have laughed at you. Um, it's been a trip. We've gotten a lot of love in the Bay in Northern California. It's been awesome. Like, I, I hope it feels satisfying because I know whenever you had issues in high school or you know getting in trouble and not finishing college and not giving a shit about college. It's like, hey, I can be good at something and have a purpose and not follow all these traditional routes. I wish that someone would have handed me a couple of books that I read along this journey in the past year trying to figure this business thing out. Yeah, you don't. You just need to be persistent and passionate. That's like what it comes to. Be patient, persistent, passionate. Like- yeah, consi- being consistent. And then our, showing up every day and doing it, whether you're great at it or you're getting better at it. Right. Our motto with the farm, we have a couple that I like to preach. It's if you improve 1% a day in 100 days, you're 100% better. And then, Shit, do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then do everything with beauty and excellence. If you just strive for that, like it, you might not get there, but like you feel good doing it. Yeah. And you know, you're like doing your best, right? You're, you're just, if you're, you make a mistake, you just go, okay, how can I do better next time? Move forward and onward and upwards. You know, to me, I want to move mindfully throughout my day. And so it is the way I carry my body and, you know, the way I look at people and the way I greet someone. And I feel like energy is just like bursting out of me when I'm doing that because it's like, I'm just so completely present in what that is. You know, when you say doing things beautifully and mindfully, like I've just now put those things together. So thank you. It's it's also hard to do. It's easy for me to say that. Sometimes like for anybody, when you get caught in the moment, it's hard to really like practice what you preach. But mm-hmm. if you just like try to keep it in the back of your mind and work towards that. Yeah. It's kind of like I always, my analogy is like, if you ever lost control of a car, they, they tell you to to stare where you want the car to go, like on ice or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like that with like life. And don't like pump the brakes, <laughs> you know, like just ease off the accelerator, like catch your breath. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. This is all going to work. 
So you just huh, like yeah. ke- keep your eye on the horizon and just go towards that vision. Like it's not always easy. It's not always fun, but like, like, I don't know. Most days I don't really feel like I'm like working. Yeah. Yeah. Work is play for me too. So tell me what is on the horizon for brotherly love? Where are y'all right now? And kind of what's, what's up next? Our goal is to work towards like a completely closed loop, sustainable ranch. The current place that we ended up on uh, when we first moved to Trinity is just not. It's not big enough. Yeah, it's not big enough. Because to do it like the way that we want to do it for long term, you need land because you need livestock. Mm-hmm. Like we yeah. have to create our own soil. Yeah, right. So um, I grew up on a ranch. Yeah, so we're working towards a sustainable ranch. And for us, like for me personally, it's been a pain point on the sales because I can give like some people if it's stored properly, like cannabis that's almost a year old and they look at the raw of the raw flower. I call it raw flower now because we're pre-rolls. Right. And not believe that it's last year's quote unquote outdoors. They don't understand that it's like any other ag product. If you store it properly, it has a longer shelf life. And right. that's missed in a lot of the supply chain and also customer understanding. Mm-hmm. And so outdoor farmers have a tremendous barrier to overcome as far as like they all harvest at one time price plummets like Mm -hmm. you know and then it's so it's working out like an education I guess it would yeah I was talking about this with the Alpenglow Farms family it really is educating consumers so it's almost like whenever you go into a cigar shop and you're, you know, finding a fine cigar that's aged and it's kept at a certain temperature. And really all that is, it's a marketing shift. And it's being able to tell that story to create that value for that product, because that product does have value, just like the aged wine, like the, you know, the longer you let your red wine sit there, the better it's going to get up into a point. And so it's defining what that is and then telling that story. And the unfortunate part with the industry right now is all of the power is in the retailer's hands. So there's a tremendous amount of product out there. There's a tremendous amount of brands in California. And there's very few retailers because three quarters of the state has outright bans on retailers. And so they're just starting to loosen up that. But right now it's what brands the bud tenders and the buyers and the owners are willing to accept and Mm -hmm. like fortunately we've we have a real story which i think for some of these people is like a breath of fresh air yeah absolutely with with a lot of the small farmers too and something like the big corporations that have popped up in salinas and santa barbara and monterey and all these counties they just can't really sell well so i heard two things when you were speaking One is that if three quarters of California doesn't have dispensaries, that's because the people don't want it. So that means it's everybody who's listening. It's your job to talk about cannabis and why it's good and important and the things that it can do for your community. Because if the community doesn't embrace it, then these dispensaries can't come into your communities. And so you're going to have to keep driving 45 minutes to an hour to get good weed or pay a lot for delivery charges. So just food for thought. The other thing is, I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot this funky donut's great. Tangents. Yeah, the tangents are great. But that was, I've just really been thinking about social change and was happy to support a woman who was running for city council, like, you know, just random on Facebook. I wish I could think of her name right now because I would give her a plug, but I'll actually, I'll include her campaign in the show notes of this. But, you know, just trying to encourage people to get involved locally in their community is a hot button for me right now. And so, you know, anytime I'm hearing a conversation, I'm like, okay, what is how is that beneficial to somebody to extrapolate out into their own community? So if I interrupt you anymore, I swear to God, it's always going to be for a purpose. <laughs> You're so good. I'm, 
I know I kind of got you off subject. So you are wanting to create a sustainable farm. That's your phase two that y'all are working towards right now. Yeah. And then on the other side, we're just, I mean, we're kind of taking what we call the Ben and Jerry's approach. So I went to University of Vermont. It's like, we also want to build like a sustainable company, socially conscious. Okay. Like a B Corp style, following those guidelines. Yeah. Giving back to the community implementing like income equality we're just like working it out because we're so young but like i love ben and jerry's ice cream but i also like love what they did early on as like a social model that they're like proactive with what they believe in and their beliefs they're not a company that's going to sit on the sidelines yeah and i think i've bought your pre-rolls before because you donate money to which uh, organization? So Operation Evac with yes, Ryan Miller. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Operation Evac. Yeah, and then Planting Justice over in East Oakland, uh, Bayer and Muir Arts, and then the SPCA, uh, Peninsula Humane Society, and then Wellspring Women's Center. Um, we put them. We pick a different strain for every. Um, and so in each dispensary, so in each community, you're giving back t- to that particular community. Yeah. We're, oh, I love that. So like eventually. Way to go. Yeah. We just picked groups that were like small grassroots like us. Yes. Kind of like, uh, I think only the SPCA actually takes government money. The other ones don't take government money. I don't know. I think $1, one vote. This is controversial, but I don't think you actually vote at the polls. Um I, I think, concur. Yeah. There's yep, a principle. You in vote your, with your dollars. Right. And so it's where you spend your money or where you don't spend your money and then where you even spend your time. I've just been disillusioned by our political system. I think it's capitalism and corporations around America. And the only thing they care about, there's a bottom line. So if you spend your money consciously, if you go to the farmer's market, you buy organic produce, you know, you, as difficult as it is, you avoid Amazon and big box stores as much as you can and let them know like I'm not shopping here because you guys do x y and z because that might run it up the line and they might realize and it also hits them where it hurts I absolutely agree and there's power in numbers and so if you can do that and then share that with someone and they can be like oh okay yeah it makes them a little bit more thoughtful before they just go ahead and refill their vitamins on Amazon instead of waiting till they get to the store. And it's like um, collaborative marketing. So like a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have ever heard of these organizations that smoke cannabis. Whereas like, I hope sometimes that someone's going to like look at that tag and go call up one of the organizations and contribute their time, you know, or their money, but like more of their time. I think that's great. Brotherly love is such a good name for y'all. <laughs> y'all are so great. You're so angry. is there anything that um, you think is important to share with um, the casually baked audience? Maybe a story about each other that maybe I didn't ask you something. I want you to feel like you have the floor for a minute if you want it. My mom told me once when I was like, uh, when I was first born and Charles was six, he had, we have two sisters in between us. He said, if this is not a boy, I'm going to push it back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God for both of you, right? <laughs> well, okay, so tell people how to find you on social, online, and, you know, if they're – you have any specials or shout outs to dispensaries or smoking lounges around here yes yeah, so, feel free um you can find us online at brotherlyloveorganics.com and instagram at brotherlyloveorganics and until the end of august if you go to mo greens which is the classiest lounge in the world at this point in uh, san francisco california you get 10 percent off brotherly love if you mention casually baked and Joe. Well, let's all go smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I'll meet you there. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I'm. We're so that's like it's elating every time I go in there, and the love that they've shown us. They're them, Barbary Coast Grassroots, that whole organization, and all the shops in San Francisco, like Harvest, even the ones in the East Bay, like Seven Stars. They've been they're in the East Bay. They're all like family to us they're just the whole staff from the security guard all the way up they're just good people right on nice well thank you both for being here and um 
we can either smoke the rest of that or if you want to try something that's not yours, you know, sometimes it's nice to I'm down to try whatever. Get yeah. out of your own garden. Yeah, for sure. If, <laughs> if, yeah, if you trust the growers, I trust the growers. All right. And thank you for having us. This yeah. is awesome. The studio's awesome. And you, you you definitely like, yeah, it's your episodes are great. I love how frank it is. You know, I love how it's like just like, go with the flow. It's more fun to just be in the flow. And I also, I don't want to feel like I'm interviewing someone. I want to feel like we're hanging out. So thanks for doing that. I mean, come on. Brotherly Love Organics is a perfectly suited name for the brothers from Philly, whose partnership is built on a tremendous amount of love for each other and our favorite plant. We all have a unique story to tell, and when it comes to our journey with cannabis and other misunderstood plant medicines, I believe sharing that story is one of the most powerful things we can do to help normalize the culture. If you're inspired to share your story with me, you can message me anytime through the website at casuallybaked.com or DM me on social. I'm at casuallybaked on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you happen to be in the Bay Area this summer, visit Mo Greens in San Francisco and get 10% off Brotherly Love pre-rolls when you mention Casually Baked until the end of August. I'll be sure to share more information about Brotherly Love Organics, Mo Greens, and also some of the other little tidbits of things here and there that we talked about in the podcast 98 show notes at casuallybakes.com. And hey, if this podcast is adding value to your life, I hope you'll take a minute to either share it with a can of curious friend or maybe write a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It's always fun to get those notes. It's like a little treat. I show up to listen to a podcast and I check in on my own and it's like I'm getting love letters from you and I appreciate the shit out of it. <laughs> so what do you say? Puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. La Osa is in the house capturing and editing the video version of the podcast available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're finding your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.